Robert Half research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. I didn't know that. I didn't either. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. Interesting. Mm. That's why you need Robert Half. Yep. I don't think that's a person. That's the company. Okay, I was confused. Yeah, their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI. Welcome to connect businesses (laughs) of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. See, at Robert Half, they know talent. I wish I had had Robert half back in the day oh, when I was hiring. Okay. So, no offense, Sona. Oh, it, it, I feel like you did mean to offend me. Yes, you wouldn't be here if I had had Robert Half. Okay. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. Hello, my name is Al Franken. And I'm already a fucking friend of Conan's. Fall is here, hear the yell, back to school, ring the bell, brand new shoes, walking blues, climb the fence, books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien needs a friend. If this is your first time listening, this is my rather transparent attempt (laughs) to uh, make more friends using the podcast format. I should be ashamed, but I'm not. I'm having a blast. It is really fun. And I'm joined, as always, by uh, my superlative team, my assistant extraordinaire, Sona Movsesian. Hello, Sona. Hi. Yeah, what's wrong with you? That was very nice. Yeah. It's a trap. It's not a trap. (laughs) It's me just being nice. You are. You're a, a good friend. We've been through a lot of scrapes together, some high highs and some low lows. Yeah. But you've always stuck by my side because I pay you. (laughs) And, uh, but you're a good friend. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, You are too. Thank you. Yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Very, that's a very uh, toned down sauna today. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) And, uh, uh, and then I'm also joined by our, our producer, Matt Gorley. Is it just producer or is it executive producer? Yeah, tr- let's go with executive producer. Well, what's the difference? I really don't know. Is In podcasts, are there executive producers? Are you a producer? What are I you? don't think podcasting as an industry has figured that out. There are people that tell you that there are different things, but I just make this thing go from this to the internet. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I you- edit it. Tighten it. You edit it? Prep it? Oh, sure. So this is edited? Oh, yeah. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah. So when I go on those insane (laughs) tirades. Yeah, especially. I put those up front. Where I just lose it and I start screaming (laughs) at my father. (laughs) 
<laughs> Dad, why? You t- you cut those out, right? Those are cold opens for the podcast. <laughs> every every podcast starts with <laughs> Father, why? Why, Father, why? Well, I'm good. You, you're, whatever you're doing, it's working. The, mm-hmm. This thing is very successful. Well, thanks. You you haven't heard it though, have you? You've never listened. I don't like the sound of my own voice, yeah, and I'm shocked that other people can tolerate the sound of my voice. <laughs> I no, think you I have don't. a nice, nice voice. Well, thank you. But I don't like to drive around or I, I would never listen to my own podcast. I really enjoy doing it. I really enjoy yeah, making I don't it. Uh, I watch my own show around the <laughs> clock. I've oh. never actually seen my children because the only way I'll look at my, one of my children is if they're held up between me and the screen that I'm watching <laughs> that's showing a Conan O'Brien from the 90s. Those classic Conans. <laughs> they're held up. Yeah, they're held up. Your As children the, are 16 and 14. Yeah. 14. Well, I, it's, Lion a, King style. Well, yeah. We hired a very, very strong man <laughs> to hold my 14-year-old rapidly approaching my height son. <laughs> his name is Julius. He's a former professional wrestler, and his job is to lift my son so I that if- Yeah. And, and Lion King music plays, and he, and in, for a second, interrupts my view of myself- <laughs> From the 90s, because I'm just watching a constant loop. And I'm sitting in a chair, and I pee into jars so I don't have to go to the bathroom and miss any color. Oh, come on. What what happens to those jars? Well, you save them all. They're marked day and date. (laughs) Science wants to understand my genius. And the scientific community needs to know at some point, how did this guy exist? How did he have a mind like that? Let's investigate his urine. And they'll have, four years ago, I don't have February. I don't know what happened. It's gone. <laughs> it's just, they. So, I don't know if it got thrown away or what. Did or maybe you it's drink some, it? No, that's disgusting. <laughs> so Is there a, like a Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse just full of your jars of urine? Yes, yes. Wow. At the end of the Conan O'Brien story, they're going to pull back slowly on a giant warehouse and it's just going to be jars of urine. Look, maybe we've gone down a bad road oh, or maybe. maybe we've gone down a great road. I think the important thing is that science will one day have access to my urine to understand how my mind worked. What, what, what's that noise? It's just utter disgust. Okay. <laughs> I don't well, think anybody cares. What's that? I don't think anybody cares how your mind works. They do. They're going to have to figure out one day how this happened to me. <laughs> how, how to stop it from happening yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be an antidote. Why was this done <laughs> to me? Like a vaccine. Why? <laughs> It's not right. We're injecting a small amount of Conan's urine in you to vaccinate you from becoming like... Worldwide, all children at, at birth. Uh-oh, this one's starting to babble. He's starting to talk nonsensically, and he's he's dipping out of weird... It's depression, and then euphoria, and lots of weird babble, and Civil War references. Quickly, inject him. Inject him with the Conan antivirus. He got a sunburn in the delivery room. All right, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, Conan's pale. Let's all have a good laugh, just because I can't go in the sun. But uh, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's possible. <laughs> I can say that at the end of any. It's possible. It's possible. We have a really good show today. Really fascinating show. Uh, my guest today uh, is an author. He's an Emmy Award-winning comedian and a former senator of Minnesota. He's now hosting his own serious XM show, The Al Franken Show. Uh, Al Franken is joining us. I would like to mention I did talk at length with Al on the show, a TV show about his resignation from the Senate. And it was a uh, it was a pretty serious discussion, as you can imagine. If you want to see that interview, it's available on Team Coco. The podcast was an opportunity for me to go a different way. 
and talk to my friend, Al Franken, my friend of many, many years, who is a brilliantly funny comedian, and talk to him about comedy and how maybe he thinks it works, because uh, I still don't understand myself. Uh, he is hilarious. I'm thrilled he's here. Al Franken, thanks for joining us. I met you in 1988. 88. Uh, it so that was, would be, my math is correct. Yeah. <laughs> 31 years ago. Yeah. Wow, jeez. I, yeah, I was a, uh, a punk kid. I remember very clearly uh, my writing partner at the time, Greg Daniels, and I came to New York to write on Saturday Night Live, and I pitched something. Uh-oh. And no, Uh-oh. no, no, no. And, no, 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 no. And you laughed the Al Franken laugh. Oh. And I immediately relaxed. I thought we were going to get bounced out of there any second. And I pitched. We had a sketch. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, okay. It was about a, it was about a lab professor. It was something I used to do for my friends. It's a lab professor. He'd be like, who had a lab skeleton. And he'd say, well, <laughs> here we have, of course, the posterior oh. patella is the thickest of the bones. And then he would look over the skeleton and go, oh, oh God, oh, God, oh, God, it's a skeleton. He, and he got as scared every time. And you were howling. And then you you came up to me and you went, I really like that. And I was wait just like, a minute. well, I'm sorry. That's how you talk. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that was Roseanne Barr. <laughs> well, that was a T-Rex. Um, uh, but anyway, you were a generous laugher with me right away, and I remember that uh, feeling great. I remember that feeling great. If people aren't laughing in in the office, or it's harder, right? It's a uh, it's interesting too because everything would be based on you remember this the read throughs that we would do oh. at Saturday Night Live, right. and uh, you did how many? I mean, if you add up all your years at Saturday Night Live, isn't it like a hundred and eleven? It's something crazy. I did fifteen seasons, so we did twenty a year, right? Mm-hmm. That's three hundred. I've noticed so far you're really into numbers. Uh, I was good at math and science, and, and I'm a Sputnik kid. Uh, I was born in 51, and when Sputnik went up, my parents marched me and my brother into the living room and said, you boys are going to study math and science so we can beat the Soviets. <laughs> and I thought that was a lot of pressure to put on a six-year-old. <laughs> Did you, you really thought it was up to you guys yeah. in Minnesota. We were, bo- we were literal. yeah. A literal and obedient. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, and so, my brother was real, really, really good at it and went to MIT. Mm-hmm. And I was really good at it. And I, you know, went to another school that was very well thought of. Yes, yes. I've heard of that school. Yeah. And um, he became a photographer and I became a comedian. Yeah. But we beat the Soviets. You know. <laughs> You, you know what's nice? That you took that uh, seriously. And then, uh, yes, this, the wall came down. The Soviets were defeated. Yes. And uh, then uh, Sona married one. Isn't uh, that right, Sona? Uh, yes, but he, he wasn't one of the Soviets you were fighting. Well, in a way, yes, he was. He was we a child. <laughs> we, no, no, we were, fighting them, we were fighting them all. He was a child, and he was, you know, grew up in the Soviet Union. Yeah. As a he, child. He, as a and child. Then, then he came here. Then he came here. Yeah. Okay. When he was 11. But Al, what I maintain is that when you fight the Soviets, you fight them all. Nah. And so, Tack, your husband, even as a small child, 
We were we were out to defeat Tack. You were saying Tack was the enemy. Yes, okay. he was, and now he's not. He was a child. Well, so I I don't I disagree he had, with he that. He had a, a child's name. <laughs> that I know. Yeah. I can't remember his last name. But anyway, uh, yeah. So I I came to Sarnet Live, and I was so scared. Uh, and then uh, got to know you and Jim Downey uh, right away. And that's the thing about Sarnet Live that I was was impressed with is they throw you right into the deep end. There's no. You'd think that what be, is the deep end? The it's deep, like you got to write a sketch. Is that the deep end? <laughs> yes. No, but what I'm saying is... You've got to do your job, the deep end. Okay. But be, yeah, write, write a sketch. Write, but write a sketch. Funny. Go in and pitch to Steve Martin. Go in and pitch to Martin Short. Go in and pitch to... You've just come in off the street. I know, but it's that's a that's like cool and a privilege. You're, you're getting... Yes, that. I think being thrown in the deep end is, is a good. good thing. Ah. Oh. oh, God, this isn't going well. <laughs> I thought it was a pejorative. Okay. <laughs> this, is, this is just uh, not going the way I wanted it to go. Well, I, I had a couple of ideas. Uh-huh. Thinking back to the show, uh, one is just- uh, This is my show, or, or Saturday Night Live. Which show? Oh, 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 oh. Which Saturday show? Night Live. Saturday oh, Night see, Live. When, you co- when you say to me, the, the show. show, and I'm sorry, am I wrong, Gourley? If someone says to me, like, hey, yeah, the show, I go, of course, Conan on TBS. Right. I think Conan podcast. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Sona, what do you think when you hear the show? I, You know what? You I think, know how you think. You think gigolos, don't oh, you? Okay. <laughs> gigolos <laughs> is no longer on the air. So well, that's tragic. I don't, yeah, it's it is It's a show tragic. about actual male gigolos. Uh, it, 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 is it a, uh, like a... Dramatic? Show? I mean, no. is it acted out or is it's it's a reality show? It's, it's a reality, reality it's, show. It's, That's what it's, it's softcore pornography. I'm <laughs> really? not even kidding. Yeah, it's it's got a plot and it's got certain gigolos it follows, but it is it's softcore pornography. I'm sorry. Wow. Um, <laughs> how do you? Anyway, back. How to, does a show like that get canceled? <laughs> <laughs> Who said we're not getting any interest in the softcore pornography? I feel like how does the, that happen? I feel like the gigolos were pulling yeah. out. No, Bill Nye, science guy, came up against us and just cleaned our clock. <laughs> how does that happen? I have no idea. I don't know. Uh, but uh, but Al, you were going to talk about Saturday Night Live. What are your, what are the ideas you wanted to talk about? Your favorite sketch that didn't make it. Oh, that's interesting. Isn't that like thought so? I don't know if it's my favorite. It's the one that come, one of the ones that comes to mind, or the that, one that was most annoying to you that it didn't get on. Yeah, there was one. I'll tell this. There's the the disparity between how it did it read through mm-hmm. versus what happened to the sketch. So <laughs> I had an idea. Do you remember Phil Hartman had a character named Mace? Yes, of and, course. And Mace was this. Um, I, I, I don't know that I can yeah. access the voice, but this incredibly tough, right. toughest guy in the world, like I'm Mace. You don't mess with Mace. You're gonna mess with Mace, and, I'm gonna, and, and, and he, and, you know, Phil Hartman, one of the great yeah. SNL players of all time, yes. could do anything. Uh, the glue, good, yeah. And he did this character that just was very funny, where he was Mace, toughest guy in the world. And so, uh, <laughs> I had this idea that 
Mace is in his cell, and the scene starts with you know a guard coming by, and he's like, "That's right, screw, keep walking around," you know, and it's it's all how incredibly tough he is, right? right. And he's really tough. And then uh, whoever the guest was that week, and I don't remember who it was, but let's just say it was Matthew Modine. They bring in. <laughs> he's my go-to. Uh, he's my go-to. Uh, let's. I always say if I say like, look, uh, if I'm ever murdered by, uh, let's just say Matthew Modine. <laughs> So, so I, uh, then they, they put this prisoner in with him and it's that classic thing where he's like, you're not going to screw with me. I'm the king of this cell block. See, I'm Mace. And the guy's like, whatever. I don't want any, I don't want any trouble. You bet you don't want any trouble. Cause I'm going uh, to rip you a new lungs and I'm going to feed them to you. And I'm going to shut them up your ass. And I'm Sun don't shine, buddy boy. And he does this whole thing. And the guy's like, okay. then the guy lays down in his bunk and Mace looks over and there's the typical, uh, there's, there's a bunk bed. It's a, it's a jail cell for two, and there's one exposed toilet in the middle of the room. Uh-huh. <laughs> and Mace yeah. is looking over, and it just becomes clear that Mace is shy about pooping. <laughs> and, and so Mace is doing a lot of like, so maybe you, uh, he's looking at the toilet, and he's starting to head that way. And the guy, Matthew Modine, is like, hey, if you got to go, you got to go. No, 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 I don't have to, I don't have to go. And then, and then he's saying things like, why don't you, why don't you go to sleep? You look tired. <laughs> you should probably go to sleep, get a good night's sleep. That's the first thing you got to do when you get in prison. The guy's like, okay, yeah, I am a little tired. And he starts to go to sleep. And the minute he thinks he's nodded off, Phil Hartman goes over. And then this was something Greg Daniels added that was really funny, which is he starts peeling off little pieces of toilet paper and putting them like, <laughs> he's very fastidious. And then, and then Matthew Modine would wake up and he'd be like, <laughs> and so this thing was read it, read through and killed. Killed, And you know when a piece kills it, read through, and people are like pounding the desks, the piano in the corners rattling, the acoustical tiles falling. I mean, like just, it was killing. And I, afterwards, people were coming up like patting me on the back. It got applause. <laughs> Lauren made eye contact with me briefly. <laughs> and then celebrated with a tic-tac. Uh, um, and I was like, wow. And then the all week long, people were like, oh, I can't wait for that. I can't wait for that. And then uh, dress rehearsal, and they start to do it. Not a laugh. (laughs) I don't know what happened to this day. Not a laugh, and it happens sometimes. But you know the way there's a thing, Al, where in a sketch there's a trigger. Uh huh. It's and it's the it's the trigger that's supposed to set everything else. The wonderful, all the laughs are to come. Need to be with that trigger. And when you hit that line, and the trigger pulls and nothing happens, <laughs> you know that you've got nine more pages right. and none of that's going to catch. Right. None of it. And so I watched it just completely go down the drain. How about you? What's <laughs> the, do you have a sketch that you I absolutely a, loved? Another, I have several. One, and uh, Fart Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> that's so stupid. <laughs> Say oh no God. more. <laughs> Fart Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> has an interesting uh, history and life to it because <laughs> there was the, okay. This is what happens. So Al Gore, <laughs> what? What? I, I have. I just want to tell our listeners that I have a pen and a pad of paper, and I'm trying to draw. I'm just trying to figure out how one thing goes to another. Like, how does Al Gore and Fart Doctor, and it doesn't work. I'm telling you right now, it doesn't work. So Al Gore uh, is going to host 
and I believe it's 2002. And he asked that I be a guest writer because we're friends. So I come and I think about it. I have some uh, some lead time, and so I I write this sketch that. Al Gore is not right for. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay, here is the premise. Okay, you have three of our cast members. I remember Amy Poehler being one of them. And they're waiting in a room, and I think Amy was the one who was very impatient and skeptical that this famous diagnostician mm-hmm. who can diagnose diseases when no one else can mm-hmm. was coming from Duke. Mm-hmm. And they're a little, he's a little late, and she's kind of both skeptical and impatient. And there's one one of the other doctors going like, "No, I'm telling you, he's amazing." Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so the fart the guy, whoever the host would be to play fart doctor, <laughs> <laughs> comes in and he's read all the files, right, mm-hmm. of all the different people, and. Um, so they bring the first patient in, and they cannot. These other doctors cannot figure out what is wrong with this uh, guy. And so uh, this doctor from Duke uh, says to the uh, to the patient, he says, "Okay, I'm going to need you to fart." <laughs> oh my god! Mm-hmm. And the guy says, "What? I'm going to need you, you know, to fart." <laughs> and so. The guy tries and does finally squeeze one off. And the doctor says, uh, your mother was Salesian? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, yes. Did you have tabbouleh salad <laughs> for lunch today? Yes, I did. You have <laughs> and then a very specific a dis- very specific disease, and all the other doctors are going like, "Oh, of course. <laughs> Why didn't we figure that? Oh my God, uh, that's brilliant." And the good news is, is that we know how to treat this, and you're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. And the guy is going, "Oh, thank you, thank you." Next patient comes in. I'm going to need you to fart. Skeptical, but farts. And he's going like... Skeptical, but farts. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad that made it up. But just, if you're listening to this right now, and you obviously are, skeptical, but farts needs to be yeah. <laughs> Skeptical, but farts. Never been said before. Oh, oh, oh I, forgot the, I forgot one beat. I forgot one beat is that after that first patient leaves, he takes out a little fan. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> sure. You just, electric, you know, the, one yeah. of those little fans. Yeah. yeah. And clears the air. Yeah. Okay. So the second one comes in and he goes, like, hmm, very interesting. And, like, could you fart again? And he takes out a beaker and collects this one because he wants to bring it back to Duke. (laughs) Then another guy comes in, and he's just an asshole about it. Yeah. He's just a fucking asshole about being, you know. Asked to do this. Asked to fart, and he just (laughs) is just a dick about it. And finally he does it, and and it's like, um, you know what? I'm going to talk to you later. And then he leaves, and... Uh, he says he's he's a dead man, <laughs> <laughs> and, and all of them are kind of like okay with that. They yeah, just yeah. never like this. Never like this. Yeah. So then the last person comes in. This is the final patient. 
comes in and you have to fart. And the person really very valiant effort mm-hmm. and can't do it. It's just can't do it, can't do it. And then you hear a fart <laughs> and he looks puzzled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, he goes like, wait a minute, that can't be your fart. You're half Austrian and, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like yeah, that yeah, yeah. just can't be yours. Well, and then Amy Poehler, the one who is so skeptical, says, that was me. Right. And he goes, we got to get you in a surgery stat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now that's a good sketch. Yes. Okay. So now this now is- Now wait, you pitched this to, you wanted Al Gore- No. To be kn- fart doctor? No. I knew that Al Gore was not right for fart doctor, okay? So here, here's what happens. I am not working at the show at this point. Uh-huh. I'm doing other stuff. I just came in for Al Gore. But I'm going like, I've got a fucking gem here, fart doctor. And um, <laughs> and uh, so while I'm not there, I'm going to submit it for read through, uh-huh. which is not a good thing to do. It, I mean, if you're not there. and because- If you're not there and you submit it for read through, sometimes the writers that are there can feel... Right, that uh, they resent it maybe a little yeah, bit, yeah, and uh, yeah. they want their thing in. Yep, and so, but I'm thinking like, okay, um, Christopher Walken is a host, so I go like, okay, all right, all right, Christopher Walken, I'll put it through <laughs> through with Christopher Walken. Yeah, and then uh, so it goes in, and it doesn't get picked, and then another month later. I submit it again, and it doesn't get So in. now you know the writers every time Lauren says, all right, next sketch, uh, fart doctor. And you're not, they're not there, and they know that this is the seventh week in a row that it's being read, and the pages are crumbling in yellow from, from age. Yes. They're, they're, they're irritated with you. Okay, right. And uh, Tina Fey uh, was head writer, I think, at mm-hmm. the time. And... Uh, she, um, so I stopped doing it. I, it. It never gets done. It just doesn't get done. So on 30 Rock, they refer to Fart Doctor very often. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what's going on on the floor? They're rehearsing Fart Doctor. Oh, that'd be, <laughs> you know, and. and That's uh, her homage to you. Yeah, I mean, it made, <laughs> it made perfect sense to say. And then when she meets Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. And at first, I think she, in in this show, she pretends to be something else. And finally, she admits that she's the producer and writer for this, for this variety, uh, comedy variety show. And she says, I write Fart Doctor. And goes, I love Fart Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> so it found, a, it's, in a way, it found a life, you know? Yeah. And then here's the thing. She never gave to any of my campaigns. <laughs> Well, in a way, she gave the greatest gift of all. <laughs> what? She made Fart Doctor immortal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's playing all around the world constantly. Uh, it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> can we, well, can, we're going to take a quick break. Let's just take a quick break. Oh, sure. We've got some business to do. Just hang on, sitting here with Al Franken. it's incredible to have the flexibility to work in all sorts of places, whether it's taking video calls from the park or emailing large files while you're grocery shopping. Sona, this is good for you. Is it? Because you're always 
doing whatever work you do for me from fun locations. But I like blaming it on not having reception. I know, but you can't do that here. Working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network, which is why you should check out T-Mobile, Sona. Then you got no excuses. They're America's largest and fastest 5G network. With T-Mobile, you'll be covered in more places with the 5G speed you need for your life on the go. Plus, they also cover more highway miles with 5G than anybody else. Check it out if you don't believe me. Hey, Blay, you've got T-Mobile, right? I do. I was actually just up in the woods in Idlewild. It was fantastic for the weekend. And uh, my T-Mobile didn't miss it. My T-Mobile phone didn't miss it. You know, I wouldn't think you'd need a cell phone because you speak so loudly into a microphone. (laughs) Well, I had to look some stuff up. Just take it. Just take it down. I didn't know what brunch was. I can hear him. When the restaurant's open for brunch. Okay. uh, So I used uh, my T-Mobile coverage to check out brunch. That's all right. Anyway, wherever you are, you know, take it from the loud speaking Blay. If you're on the go, you want to be in the know, you want to make the show. What? Uh, T-Mobile. Okay. That's the one for you. That was I should weird. have rhymed it with go. Anyway, <laughs> find out more at tmobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. Fastest based on median overall combined 5G speeds, according to analysis by Ookla of Speed Test Intelligence Data Q3 2023. C5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. in today's Sona, I was thinking about just how much has changed over the years. Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, we were all dancing the Jitterbug and the Watusi. Okay. And then you grow up now and there's mosh pits and everything's gone <laughs> cuckoo. There's this new thing called rap. I don't know what's <laughs> happening anymore. But guess what? In a world full of change, there's one thing that hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. The great taste of Miller Lite. Are you with me on this? Oh, yeah. I'm right there with you. Yeah. And you know, another thing that hasn't changed is that it's less filling. Yeah. I hate a filling beer. When I have a filling beer, I just want to sit down in a beanbag chair for six days, but not with Miller Lite. So what's the best thing about the original light beer? Mm -hmm. Back in 1975, the big debate in America was what's more important, that it it's less filling, Miller Lite, or it tastes great. Yeah. The cool thing is when we all realized it's both. Okay. It's less filling and it tastes great. Yeah, all right. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. Miller Lite keeps it simple. Undebatable quality. Great taste. Only 96 calories. You don't have to choose what's best. Miller Lite has great taste and it's less filling. Tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Conan. Or you can find it pretty much anywhere that sells beer. Yeah. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories per 12 ounces. Fewer cows and carbs than premium regular beer. Stay connected this winter with this unbeatable deal from BreezeLine. Get reliable, fiber-powered internet for just $19.99 per month with all-in pricing for two years. But that's not all. Your first month is on us. This deal gets better with a free modem and installation along with free Wi-Fi your way whole home coverage. Safeguard your network from cyber threats and keep all your devices connected and secured with this amazing offer. Act now. Terms and conditions apply. Offer expires March 3, 2024. Learn more at BreezeLine.com. back pretty cool huh? <laughs> uh so okay another one uh that this is another sketch we're talking about sketches that uh that we love that didn't make it on Star Out live right and uh which which one is this 
This, weirdly, is another doctor. (laughs) (laughs) And it's called That's My Oncologist. And it's a sitcom. It's like a 50s sitcom. And it's, uh, the song starts and there's a, you know, the montage of a sitcom. When it comes to cancer, he's got the answers. He's the best in the biz. But when it's Honey, I'm Home, he's thick in the dome. That's my oncologist. (laughs) Bom, bom, bom. And, uh... So I I submitted it once with a sketch kind of in it as right. the show. Right. And then I did a next week on, you know, and and so the next week worked. Right. And the next week was it's take your daughter to work week mm-hmm. or day. Yeah. And it's just he's pointing to these x-rays, I guess, or whatever those right. are. And right. she's going, okay, he's a goner. <laughs> Okay, this one is, it's in his liver. (laughs) (laughs) How old's the daughter? The daughter's like eight, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, (laughs) oh, this is your teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And that that killed. Yeah. And and so I just said, okay, just take the sketch that isn't great out and just do that. And it didn't happen. Here's one of the things, this just reminds me of something I wanted to ask you about, which is (laughs) when I was watching Saturday Night Live along with everybody else, 75 to 80, Mm -hmm. you and uh, Tom Davis, I remember watching late one night and you did this sketch. You can remember this better than I can, but there was some sketch where you're doing something throughout this period of time and you're getting progressive. Is it you that's getting progressively sicker? Is it a, a is this, tumor? Is this the brain tumor? Yes, the comedian? brain the brain tumor comedian, and it's your comedy. Yeah, just tell me because I remember watching that at home and howling at, but it was so dark, and I remember <laughs> yeah, the time did. thinking nothing this dark has been on television before. I mean, yeah, this is, you know, yeah. Um, this was uh, so we had been doing the Franklin and Davis show as a show within the show, and we were on when the show was short. Mm-hmm. So we <laughs> right. when a lot didn't work, and they and Lauren put us on in the last half hour. So, um, but we had been on a number of times. People knew 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 the Frank and Davis show, and you had like a cool uh, animated, animated, yeah, animated of your of your faces. It looked like it's the Frank and Davis show. Anyway, so we come out, and uh, and I have this. Um, Bandage, this huge head right. bandage with a big lump uh, on the, you know, the bandage yeah. is, uh, you know, ad, uh, adhesive tape around uh-huh. gauze, and uh, my head's wrapped in it. And Tom says, um, Al has a brain tumor. Right. And he's always, you know, we're a team, but he's always wanted to do a monologue right. and then work alone, you know, just try that right. and i think that uh I, i'm really encouraging that because that's his dream mm-hmm. and he's going to do that and um he's a little uh he's not not doing well and uh so just laugh <laughs> <laughs> it was so eerie and uh so i i go out there and tell the first you know the ra- have you heard the one about the rabbi who doesn't charge for giving circumcisions he only takes tips. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> oh, no. And then Tom's going like, Tom's behind. Yeah, please. Tom's like, isn't that funny? And then from then on, I just, the punchline is always, he only took tips. 
and Tom is trying to encourage people yeah, yeah. to laugh. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and I start at one point, I start to clearly just lose it, and I'm almost about to pass out. And he has a sponge and some water and just starts yes. sponging with my face. <laughs> I have a memory, which I, I love to tell people, that stars you. Mm-hmm. And I think is this Harrison? Yes, word gets out. <laughs> word gets out that uh, George Harrison's in the building and he's down in Lauren's office. And I'm—I don't think you can be a bigger Beatle fan than than myself. I just—I I know everything about them. I know the instruments. I know the like. Know the chord changes, the whole thing. You know the names it, of the songs. It's yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know some of the names of the members. Um, get hazy on the bass player, but uh, we're there and we're thinking: Are we going to see him? Are we going to see him? And then finally, George comes down the hallway, and we're all in the writers' room, and he comes in, and I remembered he had been out partying with Lorne, and he was a little tipsy, and Lorne had gone out to dinner. With yes, him. yes. So, and traditionally on a Tuesday night. Now, this is Tuesday night. The show gets written on Tuesday night. And we stay up all night. We writing. stay up all night, but it really, you know, starting, I don't know, 10 p.m. or something, things are actually starting to be written. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, first of all, George Harrison shows up mm-hmm. at around 8 mm-hmm. and they go to dinner. Yes. And they don't come back until like 10, 10 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Harrison's really drunk. Yeah. He's, he's tied one on. And I, this is what I remember very clearly. He yeah. walks in, we all stand up. Mm-hmm. He comes into that, those wide, it's double doors into the, the writer's room. Writer's room. Writer's and he's sta- area. Writer's area. And he's standing there and he's sort of weaving from side to side as one does when one's had uh, a lot to drink. And he said, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm pissed as a newt. I'll never forget that. He went, he went, sorry, I'm pissed as a newt. And then he said, what are you all staring at? And we were all staring at him. Mm-hmm. And then he looks over in the corner and he sees a piano. And he goes over and he sits down at the piano and he starts to play the piano. Mm-hmm. So a beetle is in a relatively small room with us. Playing the piano. Making music. Making music. A beetle <laughs> a is beetle. making music. Yeah. And all of us are transfixed. And I think he plays for about 20 seconds. Nope. Less. Maybe. More. More. Okay, more. All right, whatever. I'm being controlled. Uh, <laughs> he plays more, but he plays for a while. And then you, you come out of your office and you said, quiet! <laughs> Okay. And then and then he gets startled and he gets up and scuttles away like a hobbit that's on ogre. He's like gets up and scuttles away and and you go back in your office. Did that or did that not happen? A version of that. This is what happened actually. First of all, he played for a lot longer than you remember. He played for a long time. Yeah, not many people when a beetle is playing go, "Hey, let's pick it up." Let's no, pick no, it no, up. No, no, no. Well, the point is we have a writing staff. We have a show that gets written now and, you know, it's like 11 and he's playing and a lo- he's playing a Quite Who a while. the fuck cares? <laughs> okay. What, what is it? So that, you know, special, today, this week, Rue McClanahan. 
is on the show. Who cares? The show could have sucked that week. Who cares? We could have sat there for six hours and listened to George Harrison play and then just turned in. It could have been a whole show of one fart doctor after another with Rue McClanahan. I didn't, I didn't think of that, but this is, this is prior to the uh, existence of fart doctors. I see. Okay. Okay, so... I had a role that year, which was, I think I was the, some producer. Yes, I was like, yes. I was responsible. You were being responsible. Yeah. And it, no one is going to, to leave that room and work as long as George Harrison is playing <laughs> the piano. You have no one on your side in this room. <laughs> I know. And I'll tell you something else. I'll, I mean, uh, I think also that you had been working on the show since 75, and George Harrison had been around the show a lot. So you had spent a lot of time with George Harrison, whereas this was my I only- hadn't spent a lot of time with George Harrison. I'd I met him you, a couple I times. I thought you guys used to go antiquing. <laughs> <laughs> no, we used to go to listen to light jazz in a gazebo. <laughs> <laughs> what? But, but here's the thing. I didn't say quiet. This is. I went to Phil Hardman, and I said, and my office was very near the piano. Yes, your your office was the closest Ten office, feet to the, closest office to the conference room in the piano. Yes, yeah. I'll, I'll verify that. Yeah. So I I say to Phil, watch this, and I go into my office. So I don't see Harrison's reaction, but I'm told later what it was. I slam the door it, as yeah. hard as I can, and I knew that it sounded like an explosion. Yes. And he he jumped. jumped. Yes, uh, and it, I'm told it is two or three feet <laughs> above the piano bench and then back to the piano he bench. He jumped up, back to the piano bench. He's been drinking, so he's startled, afraid, and he gets up <laughs> and runs away, and I don't think ever returned to America. <laughs> I haven't looked into it, but I don't think he and ever returned to America. I do get shit from few people who were there. But I, I bear you no ill will. Okay. But can I ask a question? Because you've told this story before. You say, sort of made it seem like it was a joke, but were you really telling him to be quiet? Now I'm confused. I think he was doing a bit of a joke. I okay. think you were doing a bit. I but I wanted, think you were also impatient. I, I wanted us to, to have a successful TV show. <laughs> <laughs> At any cost. That was kind of my goal. Right. Okay. And he'd been there a while playing. I mean, he had been, <laughs> and also, he was very drunk. And it wasn't, I'm not a music critic, but it, <laughs> I don't think it, I don't think it was. Uh, yeah. I just don't think it was his best work. Yeah. It was. Uh, <laughs> wheels on the bus go round and round, round and round. Wheels on the bus go round and round. All right, George. We can put a harmony in here with wheels on the bus. Yeah. And, yeah, the Beatles gone. And guess what happens? People get, they get to work. Right. And we write a good show. I don't remember if it was a good show. I don't either. <laughs> it made a bit a slightly passable show. But uh, no, I, uh, I, you are, I will say, absolutely fearless. You, I remember you not being intimidated by massive stars and just going right in. And I mean, were you always that way? Were you like that in 1975? Was you, were you ever a scared pup or 
Do you have any memory of that first show? Like how yes. scary it was? We're doing a live show. Uh, will this even work? What if, will this? It was very unlike what the show became because we had, I think, three musical acts or something. And you had Muppets too, I think. Oh, we had Muppets. We had a music act. The hit was Chevy and an update. Yeah. And the show didn't become the show until, you know, it started getting more like what it was. And the Lily Tomlin, I think, was the first show that seemed like one of the shows. But, you know, it was George Carlin, I think, did two monologues or something. It was like it was like Midnight Express. Yeah. But with more people, comedy I, focus. I always try to point this out to younger people that are interested in comedy is that nothing is what you think it was at the beginning. And a good example of that is watch a Simpsons from the first season. Uh, first of all, Dan Castellaneta, who does Homer, his take on Homer was that he sounds like he should sound like Walter Matthau. And so it's a lot. If you watch the early ones, it's boy, now c- come here, boy. Uh, you, I'll get you, doe. Well, Marge, we better. I mean, it's not. And the and the pacing is completely different. It's 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 radically different. And I always tell everybody that nothing, you know, people tend to think that everything it just springs out perfectly wow. and that never happens. I mean, uh, I think a good show is a living thing. Uh, I know that, you know, Lauren has told me that, you know, people used to say to him, starting with the second season, well, it's not as good as the first season. And he would think, no, no, no. <laughs> Saturday first, Night Dead. Yeah. Was like, they started doing the Saturday Night Dead joke probably right away. Second season. Yeah. I guess it's that. Was it, it was like Arthur Miller or something said that, you know, he wrote Death of a Salesman and everyone was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then later on he'd write his other plays and people would say, it's not, it's not Death of a Salesman. <laughs> and then he'd write more and they'd go like, you know, it's just not Death of a Salesman. And then finally late in his life, people, he'd write something and people would say, you know, we've been thinking about it. Death of a Salesman isn't that good. <laughs> like, okay. Actually, it was really good. It's really good. Yeah. No, no, I know. But just if you stick around long enough, they'll pick everything apart. Um, I do my podcast my show, alone. I'm like in, there's nobody in the studio with me except a climate scientist is on. And we're talking about, obviously, global warming and what we need to do. And he gets into the uh, underdeveloped world, the poor countries of the world, the third world countries. And when their economies expand, that they're going to have to kind of skip a generation of energy. They're going to have to skip coal and go into, uh, you know, carbon neutral uh, fuel and that kind of thing. And I said, well, how could we just get these countries not to develop? And he didn't laugh. He thought. (laughs) Um, Okay, for example, uh, so we had former uh, Energy Secretary Ernie Moniz. I'm laughing already. (laughs) And he's on, and he's a great guy. And he, he actually negotiated all the technical aspects of the uh, Iran nuclear deal. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. He was the head of the physics department at MIT. And we're, we're talking also about climate. And uh, we have this discussion about whether natural gas is a transition or not. 
there's controversy about that. And he says it is. He says it is. And he says, I, for example, I work with Southern Company, which is this big utility in the South. So I say to him, you're working for the man. And he goes, well, or or the woman. <laughs> he doesn't know the phrase. Maybe he didn't know the phrase. That's exactly what happened. He's not like, he just didn't know the phrase working for the man. Yeah. And he, I, I think he's like five years older than me or something like that. And people five years older than me know the phrase working for the man. Yes. But. I think he was studying physics. <laughs> <laughs> He's At trying to fix the world. He's right. busy trying to save our planet from uh, from a global disaster. Yeah, so he didn't. And you're angry that he's not up on his. <laughs> I'm not angry. I know, I know. I'm not angry. I'm just, I'm going like, I, I, I really respect him. I think he's he's a great he was a great public servant. He's a great mind, and he's yeah. a tremendous asset to this country and the world. But I just kept making fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, can oh. I get you to do? I know you're over, but we can. Yeah, we well, can do, do this course, yeah. stuff. You know how to cut. No, I don't. But this guy does. I don't okay, know. so, um, so you'll there, you'll chop this up any way you, you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and okay, so so um, we we did we had a rewrite table yes. right on Thursdays we yes. re- rewrite and uh, the uh, Bush to caucus debate. All right, yeah. And you know, for those who don't remember, Dukakis was probably about what five six or something. Yeah, and Bush was like. I don't know. H. W. Bush was like six one, yep. six two. Yep. There's a lot in the news that Dukakis was. Could he stand on something? Right. And and a the box. camps were going back and forth. Like, well, it can be one apple box, but it can't be two. It you know maybe it can be one step, but not a step and a half. And they were negotiating. That's was in the news. So we're looking for a joke. You know, some way to do this, and uh, th- we get it from Conan. Only because he does sound effects. Right. Or this sound effect, which is a hydraulic lift. Yeah. So if you look at the, the, the piece. It was uh, John Lovitz's Dukakis. John, hilarious Dukakis. And he kind of gets behind the podium. Mm-hmm. And he gets, and you see him like get ready <laughs> and then, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for it. I remember pitching this in the room. Yeah. yeah. And then, the, uh, then it goes up. Uh, it kind of, mm, I can't yeah. do it. You, I'm going to have you do it. And then it goes too high. Right. But it goes like a. <laughs> he has like a lever. And uh, yeah. You no, know, he doesn't have a oh, lever. Well, maybe so he somebody's, did. Someone else is doing it. Someone yeah. else is doing it. But he is, he played it so beautifully because he is trying not to, Dukakis is trying not to react. But he goes up he's too high. He's being humiliated and he's trying. <laughs> So what I did in the room was just like, well, what if he gets behind the podium and then you just hear, <laughs> and grinding of gears and pitching, <laughs> pitching, like a like an elevator or something. Well, it's, it kind of comes up and it goes. Goosh, <laughs> and then and Al was la- doing that laugh, yeah. and that uh, I was happy that day. That was a day where because I used to go back to my apartment, which was in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, and this is really? 1988, and this is back when you, I, I again, things are not what they were. You 
Williamsburg, Brooklyn in 1988 was a scary place to live, height of the crack epidemic. It's not the Williamsburg of today where there's just- uh, And why did you live there? I know it was less expensive yes, than living I, in a safe I, place. I didn't know anything. And also, <laughs> I, I had not lived really in New York before. And I was coming from Los Angeles where I had started my career and I didn't know. And so I had a friend, this woman, Lynette Cortez, who over the phone- I said, I just need to find a place to live in New York. I just got hired at uh, Sound Out Live. And she said, come uh, live. Uh, I have an extra, I, I live in a, a townhouse and there's, there's a room here that you could have. And I live in Williamsburg. And I was thinking Colonial Williamsburg. <laughs> I really was thinking like gas jets and 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 cobblestone streets and, and insur- people churning butter. And I said that sounds fantastic. <laughs> and then uh, I got my brother Neil to drive me, and we showed up in early February of '88, pitch black, freezing. And we get off the Williamsburg Bridge and start heading south. And then we get off, and it's just looked like a like one of those post-apocalyptic movies of burned out cars and <laughs> all the streetlights were sh- were dark. And someone said later on, they told me, yeah, the the, the crack dealers shoot out oh, the streetlights. Oh. So ah, everything was smart, dark. Smart. And, and, every, and, we're, and I keep thinking, <laughs> what is this? We got off on the wrong thing. And my brother Neil is saying, no, no, this is, this is Berry Street. This is, and, and then finally the car starts to slow down. And he goes like, yeah, it's 242, 240. And I'm like, no, 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 no. No, 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 this can't be it. This can't be it. And then he comes to a stop. And it was a scary, scary place to live. And I remembered coming to work one day and I used to take the L. I used to walk eight blocks, I think, north to get uh-huh. to the end of the L. I went and got fry boots with giant heels and I would wear a trench coat because I thought that it would make me look tougher. And I would have a cigarette coming out of my mouth because I thought this would make me look tough. But I just, I looked, uh, I looked like six. not a tough looking. I'm not a tough looking guy. And, and it's like two kids in a rain Yes, coat. exactly. I looked like, yeah, it looked like a, a 1930s movie where three kids try and get into a movie yeah, as an yeah. adult. You know, <laughs> quiet, you, you're on my shoulder. Shut up. Uh, we'd like to see the movie. <laughs> It was terrifying. And then I came to work and I remember you were just listening to chatter, us chattering and you're doing something. And then you just heard me say, yeah, no, I just came in from Williamsburg. And you went, what? (laughs) (laughs) You went, you live in Williamsburg? And I went, yeah. And he said, you got to get out of there. You're going to fucking die. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I did. And I did. How long did it take I was not there long. Right after you told me that, I got out and I uh, moved to 18th Street. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So thank you. You saved my life. Okay. Well. There you have it. Yep. There you have it. You know what? Uh, this is uh, this has been a joy. It's very nice having you here yep. and uh, laughing our asses off. And uh, let's do this again. This is really fun. Yeah. Um, what do you mean? But what was that? That wasn't. I'm trying thing. to. No, I was going like. I'm wondering when we could do it and how you do that. Do you do that? You well. Uh, you had Dana. Yeah. And there was a couple. It could times, happen right? again. You know. You never know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Well, what a terrible ending. <laughs> an awful ending to an interview. Just to sort of... It just I thought, I think it's like a little, like a wind down. It's a wind down. Yeah. What do you yeah. think? That's to be nice. continued. Isn't that... To be uh, continued. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that a way you want to... Yeah. Go do it. Uh, yeah. Voice is getting really... <laughs> oh. Oh. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> Al Franken, thank you. episodes ago on the Zach Galifianakis 
uh, conversation, you mentioned that you had written to E.B. White, the author of Charlotte's Web. How old were you when you did that? Let's see. I would have been in high school when I did that. And he had this uh, book of essays um, and I wrote him this letter and I don't know what possessed me, but I, I, I dashed it off and I sent it. I think I found out somehow, this is all pre-internet, where he lived or basically what town he was in. And I sent it up to North Brooklyn, Maine, and then kind of forgot about it. And then I think a month or two later, I get this envelope in the mail and it's a letter from E.B. White. And I've only ever had my, the letter he sent me. I never remembered what I sent him. All I knew is that in his letter to me, he said, um, he compliments my writing and he says, you said you have a hard time taking criticism. You're going to have a tough time as a writer. Hmm. And so I remembered him saying that. Which in itself is a criticism kind of. <laughs> yeah. But also I'm, what I remember very uh, clearly when, when he was so interesting is that I wrote E.B. White and basically my main question was, I'm not sure I can make it as a writer because I'm worried about criticism. And then what do I do? I become a comedian on television, uh, replace David Letterman at a time when he's beloved and get more criticism than most humans get in a thousand lifetimes. So that's just so funny that I said, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of dogs. And then I ended up in a career where I jump into wolf packs uh, covered in sausage grease. <laughs> and just see what happens. I just find that really interesting. Well, Cornell Library has recently unearthed the letter that you sent to E.B. I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. They, they found it and they found the letter. And I never look at comments online because I'm so afraid of criticism. Even today, they released it and I saw that it was getting some attention on the web. So I clicked on one comment. And it was, Aww. and it was, you write like a girl. Aww. I am looking at your penmanship. I wouldn't say that you write like a girl. It's very gender fluid like it's yeah. very unisex. why does that bother you isn't that a compliment because guys have yeah. guys I, I usually he, have chicken scratch and girls have like well not that's not necessary no anytime but, a man yeah. is told uh, when he's when his you know gender definition is is challenged by someone else online uh it can rattle you for a second yeah. and and usually you know I, I thought he meant i was afraid i hadn't looked at the letter yet and i thought that i made um, like my eyes had a full circle oh, at the no. top instead oh, of a dot or and, a a heart. and a little smiley face. <laughs> well, I'm struck by how evenly spaced everything is. It's almost like this was put into a computer and like center justified. It's incredible. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's as if someone who wrote it was compulsive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. Welcome to laughing at my pain. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, We're I back. see that here. We're back at laughing at the lesions in my mind. Come There's some on. Like, tear stains on this yeah. letter, too. I wonder what those are. And you did, this is handwritten. You did a signature and then printed your name. Like I know. Totally <laughs> unnecessary. I, knew I that love people, that. That's endearing. I knew, I knew that people did that on printed, on typed letters. And I don't think I had a typewriter. So I, I wrote the letter, but then signed my name, but then printed it underneath as if it was a typed letter. Oh, it's just a window into who I was. But I have to tell you, I really was uh, worried about putting this all online. I think it's sweet. And I think you should take it as a compliment that you write like a girl. But I also think that it's uh, it's sweet that you wrote that letter to someone who you admired. And it's sweet that he responded. And I think the person only said I write like a girl because in the letter I say, I'm so happy to be a little girl. Oh. <laughs> 
I think they meant, I re, you know, I think that's what they were talking about. Okay. I said, I'm so happy to be a little girl and to be growing up to be a woman one day. Why did you want to tell E.B. White, White that? that? I don't know. It was a very confusing time for me. It's okay. Yeah. Teenage years are confusing. I was wearing a uh, 19th century, uh, I remember this, a 19th century wedding dress when I wrote that letter. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. fine. Yeah. You were going through, you were finding yourself. It was. It was my wedding, it was my 19th century uh, tattered wedding dress phase that I went through. What did you end up finding? One hell of a guy. Yeah. Just a really good guy. This salt guy. of the earth. Yeah. Where's yeah. he? Yeah. Uh, he died. <laughs> he died in 1988. He got married off. And no, no. He's gone. He's dead. Uh, he was um, he was attacked by a mob, that guy. And then he was replaced by this guy. I, you know what? I like this guy. He's cool. Yeah, he's you like this right. guy? I yeah. love this guy. This guy's my friend. He's like family to me. I That's like nice. him. nice. I know we do a lot of, you know, I, I do want to say we do a lot of sort of bickering, yeah. but it's all with love. Same. Um, love is a strong one. Mm, yeah, it's done with a level of affection and respect. <laughs> what? Res- I don't know. Respect. Is it respect? No. You were going to say it was so. done with love, so you love us. Uh, you push it sometimes. <laughs> what do you mean? Really? What do you mean? You just love to push it. What do you mean? You just love to. I just, love you. You just oh. love to stick your chin into the buzzsaw, don't you? <laughs> I'm right here, and you know that my. <laughs> I love you. You know that I am uh, registered as a black belt in hurting people yeah. with yep. my words, yeah. and I don't want to hurt you. But you keep coming at me with your with your irony nunchucks. I so. think you do want to hurt him. I think you like. I think it makes you stronger. I always I compare you to uh, the witches in Hocus Pocus, where they suck the souls out of the kids, and it makes them stronger. Oh. And I feel like Thank you, you you become stronger when you make fun of people. Thank you. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. It's nice. I'm a soul sucking witch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Who leaves uh, children uh, as just dried out husks when I'm gone. That's very, thank you. And, and guess what? Happy holidays to you too. <laughs> it is Happy true. Happy holidays to you too. <laughs> Merry Christmas. God bless us, everyone. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> I was thinking about uh, what if Scrooge had taken Ambien? So the three ghosts visit him, but then he just doesn't really remember it in the morning, you know? And he leans out the window and he's like, boy, boy. And the boy looks up. You know, the boy says, go get the biggest goose in the window and take it over to Bob Cratchit. Yeah. He just leans out the window. He's, boy, boy. And he's, yes, sir. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) (laughs) He just can't remember. He saw his own grave. He saw all this stuff, but he's on Ambien. He doesn't remember. And there's all this, he ordered some stuff on, in between the ghosts, he ordered stuff on Etsy that he didn't even really want. And there's all these cookie crumbs in the bed. And, you know, and then he wakes up in the morning and he's literally just been shown his grave and he was crying and he was like, but is this the way things will be or could be if I change? That is to be determined. Back to sleep. And then he orders a few more things. He goes on Amazon, you know, he watches some really weird porn. He eats a whole uh, cinnamon loaf that he doesn't even like, and the crumbs are all in the bed. And then he wakes up in the morning, boy, boy, yes, sir, would you like me to go get the goose because your life is turned around? No, go fuck yourself, you piece of shit. And the ghosts are starting to kind of drift back. Did you hear what we... Go get out of here! What are you doing here? No, you've met us. I don't know you. We 
shouldn't have let him have the Ambien. <laughs> Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair, and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Becton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It, too, could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. <laughs>